0: The war is
1: not over. Victory
2: isn't won. But we'll fight
0: on to the glory. Welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk on Babs Rolls Ivy. I'm delighted this morning to have my friend Gary Tinney on with uh, Robert Dimmons. So I've been running into Gary like over the years and we've been having these conversations about what is going on in the fire, in fire departments all across the country, not, not just New Haven and Hamden, but what's happening across the country. And so, you know, uh, Gary Tinney uh, was a firefighter here in New Haven, um, has retired and now is the fire commissioner for the town of Hamden um, and, and, and it's pretty busy. So welcome Gary, welcome Robert, unmute welcome. yourself Robert good morning good morning all right so the last time i saw you we were hanging out a little bit and we Mm -hmm. got to talking about what's going on in the fire department and the and the barriers that still exist for people of color to get into these positions at at firehouses across the country uh it's problematic for women it's problematic uh women of all colors but for black women problematic for black people uh, to get into the fire department, so so so, talk to me about what the landscape looks like right now in in fire departments.
1: Well, currently, um, again, my name is Gary Tinney, retired in New Haven um, captain, and I'm vice president of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. Unfortunately, we're in a situation where um, you talk about the makeup of the fire service. Um, we were at one at one point. Uh, numerous years ago, especially during the consent decrees and the laws that um, were made to make sure that we were hired and part of the fire service. Um, we were around 14, 15 percent. And I think right now we're around seven percent. But I, I think um, Mr. Demons can speak to that from his historical point of view also, because he's been around the service for a long time. And uh, seeing Miss Re- Regina Wilson from the FDNY, who has joined us, who has a a wealth of knowledge pertaining to these struggles um i I just think people are in the dark when it comes to seeing the the roadblocks and the continued struggles that we face in the fire service during recruitment during you know you talk about upward mobility and you talk about retention that's still a a major um and then you drop in the the uh discrimination and racism so we got Mm -hmm. we got our bucket the bucket's full so um, and and so, funny.
0: so, so, Gary, would you say that some progress has been made? Because it sounds like the needle has not moved enough or far enough to sort of uh, that we're still having these
1: struggles. No, the struggles real are real. I think they might be more relevant now than they were back in the '70s um, or before that, because you had, uh, you know, a lot of our elders were in the front lines of these fights because you were dealing with the civil rights movement and all these other things, which. People don't realize our organization and the you know Black firefighters throughout the country played a major part um, in the civil rights movement.
0: So, Regina, uh, Ms. Wilson and uh, Mr. Demons, unmute yourself so you can join the conversation. <laughs> so, Ms. Wilson, uh, are you a current firefighter now?
3: Yes, I work in Brooklyn, New York um, and in New York City.
0: And how long have you been a, a firefighter?
3: Well, on the six, the 16th, it'll be 24 years.
0: Oh my gosh.
3: Yeah. So
0: what was it like for you when you first walked through those doors? When you made the decision to take this on, what was it like?
3: Uh, well, the decision wasn't one that I even thought about doing. I was actually recruited at a Black Expo and um, I was already working in corporate America. I was working at a real estate company. Um, and so uh, becoming a firefighter wasn't a thought of mine. I, it was nothing that I grew up with was able to have any influences no one i knew was a firefighter i never seen a black firefighter so um the the idea of it never crossed my mind i thought when i got out of college i was going straight to corporate america so it wasn't a something that i uh, achieved to do so
0: and so so what was it about it that said that made you say you know what this might might be a good path <laughs>
3: Well, I think it was because the recruiter told me that there weren't a lot of women and it wasn't a lot of people of color. And um, I knew the fire department to always be an honorable job and that everybody loved firefighters. So it was just curious to me of why women wouldn't think to take this profession, nor any black people would take this profession. And so it was intriguing, but it didn't convince me. Um, uh, What convinced me were the involvement of the Vulcan Society and the United Women Firefighters, who invested their time in me, and I've never, uh, uh, you know, put myself a part of a business where they actually told me that they wanted me, and they seeked me out, and they wanted to make sure that I, I, uh, I passed the test. They wanted to make sure that I passed the physical. Like they breathed the job into me, and then everyone that I met, they said they loved their job, and I was curious because I hated mine. So. Uh, those were the things that kind of kept me going and kept me intrigued about the job. Mm.
0: And uh, Mr. Demons, how long have you been a firefighter?
4: Well, I'm re- I've am i been retired. Uh, it'll be 23 years this year. Wow. I got in 2020, but I, I did almost 30 years in the uh, San Francisco Fire Department. I started out as a firefighter, uh, went up to uh, Chiefs Aid, Lieutenant Captain battalion chief, assistant chief, and then uh, thanks to uh, wonderful Mayor Willie Brown, I jumped from uh, assistant chief, jumped over to deputy chief uh, to become chief of the department. And that was in 1996. But giving you a little history of San Francisco, um, I recall as a teenager during the uh, early uh, mid 50s, Earl Gage, who was the first African American uh, firefighter in San Francisco, he was uh, joined the department. There were fifteen hundred firefighters at the time, and it re- was all over the black neighborhood. We heard about what was happening with him. He, uh, they, uh, one morning, one night, he got in his bed, and it was full of feces. And they would uh, w- move him from station to station. They did all sorts of things to him. And he was in in there all along for uh, until uh, uh, 1967, 12 years, he was in there as the only African-American out of uh, 1,500. And the uh, 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 population of African-Americans at that time in San Francisco was 15% so there were no asians and I, I don't know what the percentage of Asians was, but there were quite a few asians in the city and just a few hispanics uh give you an idea of what was going going on the um i, I was the first person uh, to become chief that wasn't a, of europe uh european primarily irish uh, back catholic background and so the irish catholics control pretty much control the uh, city employment police and fire and some of the other positions in the city mm. so i really didn't have any idea yeah, i wanted to be a firefighter in fact uh, i was working as a watchman and and um uh, going to school uh to be an engineer and i started working for the gas and electric company as a gas service person and i was uh, promised that i could get into the um engineering department. So I actually didn't resign that job until I was two weeks into the uh, fire department. It was kind of interesting how I was recruited. Um, One of the uh, brothers, he operated the elevator at the um, veterans building where I was a watchman. And so he would always go across the street to city hall and see what uh, jobs were available. And so he came back a couple of times Uh, first time with the uh, park patrolman, which paid a little bit more than a watchman. And so he told me to take that test. I did, and I came out number one. And then he came out with a museum card, which I also paid a little bit more than a watchman. And I came out number three, but I didn't take any of those. But he got a kick out of that. So when the fire department opened up for hiring, he brought me a um, application and he said, look, Bob, uh, those, look how much money those firefighters make. And all they do is sit around and play cards. <laughs> he said, you can do all your homework uh, in, in in the station to make all that money. So I took the test, but I didn't turn my application in until the last day. And I really debated whether I wanted to, to do that. But just so you know, right now, and, and was in, the only requirement to be a uh, Education-wise and so forth uh, was a um, high school or a GED, and when you think about it, those um, firefighters in San Francisco uh, just a firefighter make approximately a hundred thousand dollars a year, and so you can see how that can really uh, draw people to the uh, to the profession, <laughs> and uh, you can go up uh, all the way up to. Uh, uh, deputy chief uh, assistant chief excuse me by competitive examinations but mm. unfortunately mo- most of these exams aren't competitive uh, some blacks and others go in taking the test the others going in and just filling out answers that the, i have already been get access to so that's the r- real problem so-
0: oh all right so so gary tinney uh these these uh, uh, Ms. Wilson and Mr. Dimmons have, have 20 years, 30 years on, the, on fire in working in the fire services. What does fire services look like today?
1: Well, I mean, again, today, um, I'll give you an example. Um, Hamden, Connecticut. Uh, in the beginning, before I became commissioner, I reached out to Regina because I know she's done some you know, really solid work, not only in New York, throughout the country pertaining to uh, race and gender in the fire service, um, and in Hamden, Connecticut, today there are zero female firefighters. A, a uh, African American firefighter, female, never hired in Hamden, Connecticut. Um, so that you know that's troublesome in itself. So, it's okay. so, Gary, how did they
0: explain that? How did, what did they say to you? Like when you asked the question, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you asked the question. Yes. why aren't there any black women or latino women or asian women in these in, in this fire department
1: well, my I say? well some of them say well they they don't you know are, are women applying um we haven't uh received many applications they can't you know make it through the process i mean you hear all these type of things but I'm, then my question is well what have you done what have you done to make sure that we have an applicant pool that we can tap into to assure that we're going to retain some female firefighters. So when that question is asked, not just in Hamden and all over, um, unfortunately, they really don't have an answer. Um, But I, I, you know, and, and the data speaks for itself. If you do not have a female in your department, there's a problem. If you don't have people black and brown or you have very few in your department, there's a problem. If you don't have people that live in your communities and given the opportunity to attain these jobs, there's a problem. So again, data speaks speaks volume. So when you're given that information, which we have, and we've given them solutions, or in, came up with strategic plans to make sure we retain some females and people, black and brown people in our communities, um, there's really nothing they can say. And then you look yeah. at what they do or what have you done. If you've identified that problem, you know, over 30 years ago, I'll give you an example. We just promote it the first African-American suppression line officer, captain, he's been on the job for 28 years, the first African-American in Hampton, Connecticut. Wow. That that says a lot about not only to the service, but it speaks to what type of outreach are you doing? So we have to, we have to hold people accountable, you know, and stop allowing folks to feed us the bone or, you know, uh, fool us with the nonsense. The data, the data speaks. So we got to do a better job not only from an organizational point of view, but from a community point of view. We got to hold folks accountable because these are lucrative positions. We used to have factories in New Haven. You know, we had Olin, Winchester, and our and folks that work there, you know, were buying homes, sending their kids to college, and, and uh, doing pretty well. But those factories are gone, and the new factories are these public safety jobs because people mm-hmm. are faring well. And I think Regina, if she could speak to... You know, one thing I really wanted—I'm glad she's here—is to hit on the, the trials and tribulations and the challenges, not only from being a female firefighter, but being an African American female firefighter.
0: So, Regina, <laughs> what do you say? What do you say um, to the data that says uh, women don't apply, women are not interested, women can't probably do this? how do you How do you rebut this? and And do you feel like you have to rebut this?
3: You definitely do, but re- recruiting a woman is different from recruiting a man, right? So there's so many other layers that you have to try and get to before you can even convince a woman that this is a job that you could do. So growing up, you know, you already start with the separations with the pink and blue. You get the doll, you get the truck. Um, the boy uh, does more of the physical labor, the girl doesn't, there's already this stigma of physical work is not for women. So when you're trying to get women in a job that's predominantly male, that's predominantly a physical job, you know, you now have to convince them that a lot of things that they've been taught or been accustomed to that they are, they could do it. So It's a level of confidence that you have to build. It's a level of trying to get a woman accustomed to the fact that you may be the only woman in a room and it may be hundreds of men in the room. Um, It's also uh, um, battling the fact that people already don't want you there, don't believe that, that you can do it. Um, you're a threat to their testosterone levels, and they they never accept the fact that a woman can do the same job as a man. They don't take this job as being a job and not a man's job or a woman's job, but just a job. And you have to get them and, and push them to a point of physicality that they probably never thought that they've had to reach before. So all of these stigmas, all of this being a non-traditional space for women, Um, getting them uh, accustomed to this this culture filled with nepotism, discrimination, racism, sexism, to now get to the point to try and get them to apply is a whole circle and gamut of things that we have to try and strip away before we can convince them that this is a job for them. So I would just say to any woman out there that want to apply for this job, I know, especially in the FDNY, I think having this job is probably the best job that you can have if you decide that you wanna have a family and wanna have kids. We work two days a week, eight days a month. You make over $100,000 after your fifth year. Um, You'll have more time to spend taking your kids to school than you would with any other corporate job that you will ever have. You have the ability to not only have this job but have a second job that will be able to be something that you wanna fulfill as a dream or goal or if you decide that you want to invest more in your kids and and be more connected with the schools or whatever it is that you wanna do, there's so much more flexibility in the fire service than anything else. But I, 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 I rebuke all of them that say that women don't want this job, can't do this job. You have to go out and get them. You know, you can't say that we we want you, but don't provide the platform and uh, provide the funding and provide the outreach that is necessary to convince women that this is a job that they could do. Um, I have a lot of people coming to me asking me how to do it. Um, And then they'll say, oh, we want women on the job. And when it's time to follow through, you don't they don't call or they don't take the necessary steps they need to do it. So how seriously can these um, fire departments across the country be about getting women and people of color if they don't even follow through?
0: So Regina, talk a little bit about what kind of supports are in place, because I'm sure support looked different for you in the early days to what you have now. And nobody wants to be the only one, uh, in, in their field of choice. So what sort of supports are in place to sort of that sort of held you down in the early days and that sustain you now as you are in your 24th year, 24th year? Mm-hmm.
3: Yes. So I think like in the beginning and this is still true today, um, being a part of a women's organization, a UWF. So I encourage any women out there that's in the fire service to, you know, you guys need to gather together and and focus as a team of women. You may have different backgrounds, races, or whatever, but it's better when you guys come together as a collective group and come with one voice. And also um, the Vulcan Society, which is an African-American organization here in New York, where we support um, African-Americans on the job and those within the community trying to come on the job. And I'm grateful to God that I was able to be the president of both and actually the current president of the Vulcan Society. So those organizations were my support system. They invested in me. They helped me to get this job and there still have been a stable support. So the, the people on the job, especially if you're the only woman on the job, you have to get buy-in from men on the job that are want women on the job and that can be able to help you to come up with a plan and move forward on how to do outreach. Because once women see that men um, in, are encouraging women to come in, it's more at ease to make another woman feel like, uh, there is support on both the men and the women inside of those companies. Mm.
0: So, Gary, talk to me about the pathways. There there are certain communities that have a different pathway to firefighting than, say, in our communities. And by our communities, I mean black and brown communities. What are the path? I, We don't have volunteer. We don't have access to volunteer firefighting, do we? And, and is that a, a, a pathway to these jobs?
1: Well, we have very little. Um, opportunities. We have some, but very minimal. Um, uh, About 14 years ago, we introduced a program at Hill House, um, and there were pathways to public safety positions. There's over a thousand public safety careers, but you wouldn't believe the the struggle, you know, one, getting it into the schools, then getting folks to buy into exposing our youth to police, fire, um, you know, you name it, uh, EMTs, uh, all these different pathways, legal, and what we would do is every week we would have individuals come in, uh, FBI, state forensics, fire, police. Every Wednesday, we had an advisory time where you had at least 10 firefighters and 10, 10 police officers in that room speaking to these kids. So one is exposed, we have to expose, expose them to the opportunities, and this speaks to something Regina hit on. If you want to make those changes, if you want to hire people from your community, Expose them at a young age, show them what the fire service is about. People think fire is about just extinguishing fires. And that's not the truth. You have so much more to the the fire service. The majority of our calls are emergency medical services, you know, um, medical calls. The majority of our calls here in, you know, mostly all over the country are medical calls. So you have to speak to, you know, you have to make that connection with the community colleges. And we have a wealth that here in Connecticut, I mean, we got Quinnipiac, we got uh uh UNH, we, we got uh Gateway, we got so many facilities, Yale, that can tap into the high schools and expose these career paths so that they can get these certifications so that by the time they graduate, they have a lot of, they have these certifications that equal to college credits also. But then you don't get that. Well, we don't. You don't have qualified firefighters because in the volunteers, they give them all those. They make the connections. They network. Um, they meet with the chiefs of the departments and and so on. So we have to do a better job of getting, you know, exposing our folks to these career paths. They're there. They just don't know how to get there. Um, so so. Fort- I'm sorry. Go no,
0: go ahead. Finish.
1: No, I'm good. I'm good. Yep.
0: So, Mr. Dimonds, um, when you look at uh, the state of firefighting now, uh, what do you think?
4: Well, unfortunately, what's going on is the um, over the years, the courts were instrumental in getting uh, blacks and women and others in, into the fire service. The courts are no longer uh, going toward forward. Consent decrees to give you an example. One of the things that happened in San Francisco, women weren't allowed to take the examination until uh, the late 70s. Uh, well, not excuse me, eight, early 80s. And the first women, first world women were hired in 1986. One of the things wow. that, uh, that you have is that the firehouse is like an old old boys club. Some of the firefighters used to come in off duty, uh, and use it as a nightclub. Okay, and I don't want to say what all went on in the firehouse, but it it was things that you know they would show videos, you know the and so women being in there, they didn't want women in there. And then some of the uh, some of the wives themselves didn't want their women in there because the, they didn't want their husband to be around men for 24 hours, you know. Um, one of the things that was interesting, we we were, uh, when I was president of Black Firefighters, we had we were fighting against a um, promotional examination lieutenant, and we didn't have uh, we had one uh, black lieutenant out of two hundred and twenty, no captains, nothing. so um, we were we found out people had been cheating on the exam, so we started fighting. Uh, I became uh, president reluctantly. <laughs> Of the Black firefighters. And so we changed from a uh, social organization to one of an advocacy. One of the things that in a meeting with now now Senator, then Mayor Feinstein, uh, she she stated, uh, someone stated, uh, well, pretty soon you're going to have women trying to get in the fire department. And she said, I don't think women should be firefighters. Well, I almost fell out of my seat because there were people that thought that she shouldn't be a the mayor because of uh she was a woman. Not. So I let that I didn't she's I guess she's changed since then. But anyway, um Earl Gage, as I, I mentioned earlier, the department had him in charge of uh recruiting. And Earl told me, which I, I we knew that uh the chief of the department told him not to recruit any women. At the time, you know, he told me this after he retired and he and I was talking, but I wouldn't knew that. So the Black firefighters, uh, what happened was the city gave the exam that the women first uh, were allowed to compete in. There were 312 women that competed in that exam. Not a single one uh, passed the every phase of that exam. So we knew that the uh, department, the city, wasn't serious about recruiting uh, Blacks or minorities or women. So we set up our own re, uh, recruitment program, the black firefighters. And I was real, pr- very proud of the brothers at that time because we didn't have any sisters in there. They came in off duty and recruited. And our numbers were just overwhelming Until the point that the city was being embarrassed uh, because they weren't uh, bringing in the numbers we were. So they offered us to uh, come uh, wanted us to come under their umbrella, so we set up set forth stipulation that we wanted uh, five cars, uh, phones in our office. You know, we and we wanted wanted uh, everybody to do recruitment to to be paid uh, overtime. Yeah. Um, we and so because we were bringing in the numbers, they the city went had to go along with that, and also we said. Uh, that we didn't want the the uh, the recruiting team to uh, go to the firehouse. We in detail to the Black firefighters office and report report to us. And I submitted their overtime. So all, they went along with all of that because there was a lot of pressure. And the big pressure was uh, what really changed things was um, the our lead attorney um, Eva Patterson. She was with the Lawyers Committee at the time. Uh, We'll call her doctor. She has an honorary doctor now. Anyway, she is outstanding in forming coalitions. And what happened was that the equal rights advocates were uh, trying to uh, fight and get women in the fire department. And so Eva had me uh, meet with the uh, lawyers for that group. And so we formed a coalition. And the thing that was really interesting was the city tried to break the coalition. Uh, they they offered to, because they knew that it was a, you know, I guess we all have to face the fact that people really, in most part, really don't care that much about black folks, okay? And so <laughs> that's, just, <laughs> that's just my observation all these years. And uh, so when we formed that coalition, I found out that <clears throat> the city was offering uh, the uh, women uh, uh, selected certification They wanted to hire them to break the coalition. And there was a real struggle because some of the women wanted to do, break with the black firefighters and some didn't. And uh, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of hate uh, for the black firefighters for recruiting and trying to get women. Not only that, we eventually, uh, we, we set up a program where we said we're gonna follow uh, Blacks in particular, but in all the other groups, women, everybody, all the way through, from the time they recruited to the test, all the testing phases, through their pro- all the way through their probationary period. So we got the use of a closed uh, middle school building, and we did uh, prepare them for the r- uh, written exam. And some of the um, and one of the things that really moved me was every every night uh, day when we'd meet. I would speak to the whole crowd and sort of motivate them about, you know, tests and break down. Then we break down, broke down into different rooms where we helped them with the math and other things that were gonna be on the test. And what this one night I was talking, speaking to them, trying to motivate them. And this um sister said something. I, you know, my hearing is not, I'm siren's kind of deafening. And but anyway, we, I didn't hear what she said. Um, and and so she uh, she got up. Some guy said, one of the other candidates, black candidates, said, said something. So she got up and left out uh, crying in tears. So I ran down the hall and caught up with her. And uh, she said, uh, you know, Bob, she says, uh, uh, well, the guy had made some sexy remark about the polls, so I won't go into it. And uh, so she said she lived across the street from the firehouse. And all she wanted to do was to be a firefighter all her life. And um, that really moved me because, like I said, I didn't want to be a firefighter. Yeah, I got in and, and stayed. And so we, uh, later on when uh, some of the w- women were saying, because the city set up with the, at the YWCA and city college, uh, physical agility training. And so the, uh, one of the women say, that was going to our uh, tutoring class and said, well, Bob, when are we going to uh, start a physical agility? So we were able to get uh, use of Ellie Hill Hutch was a uh, community center. Uh, they only had to pay $1 a year for insurance. Uh, the, the brother that ran the uh, program, Lefty Gordon, he was real great. So we'd meet up and it was two, two Black firefighters. One had played... Uh, semi-pro basketball, and the other one had been a uh, playground director for many years. <clears throat> we were very athletic, so we put them in charge. The fire department was kind of resisting, giving us all the material and equipment we needed, but the, they did such a great job. The um, What happened was the uh, some of the white firefighters, particularly some of the white chiefs, started sending their daughters to 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 our training program because we we were so so, um, just briefly, the end results was obviously um, as far as recruitment, we were we re- we had the best recruitment program as far as results in the country at that at that time. The black firefighter. the the fire department later adopted our method. When I became assistant chief, I was put in charge of the. Uh, uh, Recruitment program, the consent decree that we had fought and got because of the coalition. I can't stress that too much. And uh, the uh, and so what happened, so what happened was uh, the re, uh, EEO recruiter uh, civilian. I told her that uh, I wanted her to get uh, five hundred uh, Asian women, and she looked at me like I was crazy. Okay. Now we obviously were bringing in a lot of black women and other uh, women too, and so one day um, uh, we set the strategy. I gave it a strategy, and she came back one day with smiling and she said, "Chief, we have over six hundred Asian women. Just that's Asian. We had a couple of thousand women. Period. And uh, and you know, like I said, our primary focus was African American women." but we focused on all women and, and also other um, minorities. And and unfortunately the ones, the Hispanics and the Asians that were in the department, we, uh, some of them even fought us, uh, joined with the union fighting us uh, because of the intimidation. What we did have was we did have attorneys and organizations uh, from the Asian and Hispanic community that joined with us and supported us and plus that neighborhood. So when when I retired, uh, we had uh, two hundred women in the San Francisco Fire Department.
0: So we have like two minutes left. Uh, I want to I want to uh, uh, talk to Regina a little bit. You know, Regina, I've been paying attention to uh, the conversation around the country about uh, this movement or this thinking around changing the criteria through which women are recruited into fire departments across the country. Like maybe they they change the, the weight requirements, they change the agility requirements, they change some of the things that, that they believe might make it more attractive to women um, to be recruited. What do you say to that?
3: Uh, I, I know that there's a lot of things in the fire service that is that are not equipped to um to do the job in the first place. Uh, we actually have a lot of things in the FDNY that are still not validated, especially testing and some of the, the criteria it is to graduate. Um, We have ill-fitting uniforms. We have ill-fitting equipment. um, So they're not conducive to women really giving the best of their ability or agility to the fire service. And I don't think that they've taken an opportunity to take a look at um, the same events that they may have that may be able to be conducive to women passing these exams. So there hasn't been a deep dive into figuring out um, how the job can still be done and the ability that it needs to, but that there isn't an overage of um, of this testosterone masculinity of what they perceive these jobs to be but to really look into the dynamics of the job and to figure out what needs to get done. And then real quick, I just want to talk about your question that you had about change. Um, Mm -hmm. The only reason why there's change and the increases of women and people of color came from lawsuits and consent decrees. They would never do this on their own. They don't want us here. There's a lot of nepotism that happens on this job. There's a lot of people that uh, know how good these jobs are, but would never allow people outside of being white to be able to join them. So the fire department itself sued the department for discrimination and won $100 million, but it is on the backs of the same people that we're trying to recruit that have to pay these lawsuits from these negligent departments that are not seeing that they need to invest in the community as a whole and that Black people and women are more than capable to do these jobs and not in these barriers like you spoke about um, with changing some of the testing and mechanisms in order to attract us and get us here.
1: Mm.
0: So Gary, I'm going to give you the last word. Um, right. So, um, so talk a little bit about the organizing that's going around to sort of help change that Robin. I mean, I'm sorry, Regina talked a little bit about that. She said, you know what? Uh, you had to uh, legally force the hands of these fire departments across the country just sort of uh, do what they were supposed to be doing in the first place. So mm-hmm. what does the organizing look like Gary on the ground all the time about cha- making change?
1: well again this is this is uh, you know it's a collaboration with many of us across the country because we're all facing the same issues so one it's easy to identify and then strategically we meet and due to the pandemic that's kind of set us back but fortunately we met through zoom but that being said, um, we have to, for instance, for the physical part, the CPAT that uh, Regina mentioned, the physical agility test. In Connecticut here, you have a facility, Connecticut, the State Fire Academy. You have a place in Meriden, Connecticut. They offer the class twice a year. And then when these departments put it out there for uh, part of their hiring process, um, these classes fill up. And, of course, we're shut out, the people over in our communities, because they're not in that network. They don't know. And then when they find out, fort- uh, unfortunately, it's, it's too late. So that's been a prerequisite. Now, to get have this physical agility certification has been a prerequisite for a lot of departments. Um, so the folks that are serious about changing that, uh, and I believe there's some legislation here in Connecticut to change it, to modify it. Uh, you know, because a lot of these things, when you talk about women, you talk about the uniforms, the gloves, all these things, they're not, they weren't made. To fit female firefighters, so you want them to test and and go through these these uh, different uh, uh, testing mechanisms. And right off the bat, you know, if you have something that the, if the weight is off, if it throws your balance off, uh, any of those things are going to play a major part. So when you talk about access, affordability, because it costs, and then you got to fight the you know to get to become one of them firefighters to be recruited. So you're facing all these barriers and it's not only time consuming, but it's it's an unfair barrier because it doesn't give folks the opportunity to, to you know, enter the fire service. So we got a lot of work to do, but we really want to have the community. We didn't really tap in a lot to race. We did a little bit, but there's a lot of different uh, incidents that I would love to talk to you about that we continue to face in the firehouse. And I, you know, I appreciate you having us. And I just, you know, I appreciate everybody that came on, too. But you get a, a better insight because you got New York, you got San Francisco. Um, um, you know, it's just it's, it's the same mess. It's the same strategy all over the country. And we just have to find a way to, uh, I'd say, save some souls, give folks the opportunity. come <laughs> I, I appreciate successful.
0: you. I appreciate you coming on. And I, I want you to come back. Like, I don't want this to be the one time that we have this conversation because I think you're absolutely right. This begs for a larger conversation over a period of time. Uh, that's the only way that it gets into people's hearts and minds that there is a problem here. And I think uh, I'd love to be able to sort of have more conversations around this matter uh, moving forward. So think about when you want to come back again and we'll ha- and we'll keep having these conversations.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Nice Thanks, to meet you, uh, Regina Wilson. Nice Thanks, to meet you, Robert Demons and Gary yeah. Tenny, I will see you out here in these streets. <laughs> yeah,
1: you will. <laughs> let
4: me say also uh, to, to, to you, Regina. And you're listening to if you need any any type of report or anything. One oh three point five
0: FM. Streaming. Y'all take care. Enjoy your day. Be safe. Thank you. Uh, and I will talk to y'all real soon. I nice hope you
2: have a baby's heart, even <laughs> the child with a rising fever, okay. cough, and chills enough to make your heart skip a beat? Children are 19% of reported COVID cases with higher rates in Hispanic and Black children. Vaccinated six months to five-year-olds are 80% less likely to get COVID, which means 80% healthier New Haven one-year-olds and 100% happier New Haven parents. To learn more, visit nhvvax.org. Nice.
1: Vision, dreams of passion, through my mind. And all the while, I think of you. A very strange reaction.
3: The more I see, the more I do. Something like a baby.
2: It's like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. My brother's doing fast on my mother's TV, says she watches too much, it's just not healthy. All my children in the daytime, Dallas at night, can't even see the game or the Sugar Ray fight. The bill collectors, the my phone and scare my wife when I'm not home. Got a bump education, double-digit inflation, can't take the train to the job, there's a strike at the station. i on King Kong, standing on my back, can't stop to turn around. Broke my sacroiliac, a mid-range migraine, cancer membrane, sometimes I think I'm going insane, I swear I might hijack a plane. Don't push me, call. i I'm close to the edge, I'm trying not to lose my head.